snow. Pastor Kim should be happy. Yeah, and I, you hear the mumble. Snow. How many got the shovel? Wasn't that fun? <laughs> I got here this morning and already facilities team was out there hard at work shoveling walks so that everybody would be safe and all of that. So I appreciate all the work they do. There's so much that goes into what happens here uh, that you sometimes I, I don't think see between coffee and donuts and people getting that and then getting it ready. We have separate people that help get that, purchase it, and make sure that we have it and all the supplies and all that stuff. Just amazing people coming together for the things of the Lord. wanted to encourage um, 180 youth uh, and just all of those that are, if you know some students, uh, youth group is growing and the kids are doing uh, just a great, great job having a great time and growing in the Lord and we're excited about that. This next month in February, there is an outing. They get to go bowling. And so, which we will take them down in bowling. But, you know, that's another point. And the other thing I wanted to tell you is Easter is rapidly approaching. I know you're like, wow, that's, but it's just January. But it's, I think, the end of April this year. But we've just uh, decided with the student ministry, they're going to be doing a drama on Easter Sunday. There's two services that day. And uh, they were, we introduced it to them Thursday night. We haven't exactly picked the one, but I think we're, we're looking at one that we looked at, and we asked some of the leaders, they're like, oh, and already, I mean, the impact of that particular drama already had some students in tears last night, or Thursday. It was crazy, uh, in a good way. So um, I'm looking forward to that, because we'll have a packed house on Easter, and see these students minister, and uh, it's just going to be wonderful. So we're going to be, that whole thing is developing. They've got, we've got their 180 logo now, so we'll start getting that incorporated in, in some of the message uh, announcements and that kind of thing. So you'll be able to see what is going on with them. And uh, I'm excited. Just a great group of, of young people that love God and finding more and more out how to serve him. So awesome. <laughs> well, we've been talking about vision. This is week three in our series on vision. And this uh, vision is, or this series is basically we are changed by vision. If we follow the Lord and we're doing what he's telling us, we're going to be changed by what he's telling us. Because when we get with God, it changes us. Say amen to that. So I want to establish something that we're here because we want to be changed. You, you got out this morning, you're the frozen chosen, so to speak. And, uh, you know, we just started two services again last week and our attendance jumped up. 40 people or so, and, and just starting that service. And just for you to be here now, because it is wonderful outside. The weather outside is a little bit frightful, but thank the Lord you're so delightful. So you're here. So uh, I won't do any more Christmas tunes, but uh, thank you. Yes, I know. But we're just glad you're here. But this itself implies that we are not arrived we nobody here has arrived we are ready to be changed god help me to find the ways i can better myself so i think sometimes we think in our mindset once we give our hearts to christ we have kind of almost the i'm going to date myself the i dream of genie mindset and uh, you know that we just immediately are changed and there are things that are immediate that are changed but how many knows that sanctification is a process Old things are passed away, all things become new. So sometimes, you know, it's going to take some time. It doesn't mean the change isn't there. It means we have to walk things out by faith. But that old religious mindset sometimes 
follows us. Uh, we recognize God is not finished with what he wants to do with us. There are other things and other avenues to draw us higher and to make us walk better with him. So I want to unpack this this morning. So our first thought is we have a limited mindset. I'm guilty of this as well. When I put this down, I'm thinking, you know, how many times have I probably limited God by my own thinking? You know, just limiting of what I believe could happen because my belief system's tied. How many knows, you know, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if, if I'm not watching myself, then I'm going to limit myself in my old thinking. An old religious mindset uh, <laughs> has some trouble with this because sometimes in the uh, back in the day, so to speak, boy, that once you're saved, hey, you should just, you should just, everything should be just completely different. How many knows that sometimes that's a good thought, but it's going to take you continually following Christ, going after him? Paul says, I crucify myself daily. So it's going to take a process in some cases. It doesn't mean the inside hasn't changed. It just means sometimes we're so used to, we have to stop and go, oh, it's quiet. There's some things that you could... You know, Kim and I, I remember just watching, we were like, oh, we, yeah, we love that movie. And then a year later, you watch the movie, and you're like, why did we like this? Have you ever done that? It's because something on the inside is changing you or changed you, and what used to appeal to you, now it doesn't because something inside has changed. On the other hand, we also can't use that as an excuse. We can just go do whatever we want and then just say, well, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. We have to be careful that we're not trying to use things just for our betterment, just to try to use the gospel for something it's not meant for. So many people don't like specifics. We like just general as a, as a whole. We like to figure out, God, show me how you're going to fix this, or, or here's how I want this to happen. How many like to tell God how he should do everything? Here's how I want you to fix this, God. <laughs> but in itself is really the power of a vision, the hope that God is acting on our behalf. When we believe that God is moved because he loves us and he has already put things in place for our betterment, he is acting on our behalf. That in itself is the power of a vision. I used to tell people, you know, when Kim and I were first married and for years, wherever we moved to in ministry or whatever, wherever the bed was, I always slept on the side that was closest to the door. Because if anybody would ever break in, heaven forbid, they would have to get through me before they could ever get to her. And we were, we were in a church and one of the praise people on the church, she turns to her husband because he was on the praise team as well. And she said, Dave, why don't you do that? And this is what he said. Her name was Alita. So Dave and Alita, if you're watching, we love you. <laughs> Dave said, Alita, if someone broke in and took you, they'd have you back by morning. <laughs> he also told her, he said, Alita, it's just your world. We just live in it. You see, sometimes our mindset will, will cause us just to, to limit we have a tendency to think that only what we think is what's happening in the world around. That's how that happens. You know, one of the reasons Andy Griffith is still popular today is because you can go to that show. It's just simple. 
Just make supper with Aunt B. Just see Barney have his bullet in his pocket. Anything. It's just simple. There's just Goober and Gomer and, and the mayor. And, you know, everything is life is simple. We cannot live in a bubble. If we never get out of our zone, we don't really understand maybe what God would have for us. There was a story of a frog that was in a well and he was told by all of his frog buddies that there's nothing outside this is as good as it gets if the little frog could look up and see the sky and finally he climbed up the wall and he looked up the wall outside and he saw a pond and he got to the pond and past the pond he could see over a mountain and down in there was a lake and then past the lake was an ocean and he realized it was just in his world that's how we, all, we live sometimes. It's just, if it's not happening to us, it's not really happening. What we think, anyway. Our perspective is limited. So we draw conclusions on our environment around us. We only see things through our window. Our window. Again, a story of a lady that kept looking out at her neighbor and said, Man, you know, she always hangs out her dirty laundry. It's always on the lo- clothesline. It's terrible. When is she ever going to learn that, you know, you can get a different detergent or something or know how to wash clothes? These clothes are, they're filthy. One morning, her husband cleaned off her window and her clothes were clean. And the lady said, she finally got it right. Here it wasn't the lady's clothes or the clothesline at all. It was the window she was looking through. And that's kind of sometimes how it is with us. Our text this morning is about Saul. We know him as Paul. He's on his way to kill more Christians. He's a religious man. He's attacking Christianity because it went against his way of thinking. He was defending his faith. We need to watch out for people that express their faith by attacking others. They build their ministry on criticizing other people, and we don't need to partner with that. We should be known by who we are, or not be known by who we're against, but who we're for. We should be known not by who we're against, but who we're for. We're for God. We can't love people if we attack them the way God wants us to love them. I guess the more I'm learning, the more really doesn't... Sometimes what I think I have to say, I probably never should have said. Just keeping my mouth shut would probably be a big thing sometimes. So Saul is on his way to Damascus. He's seeking letters from the high priest so he can aggressively kill more Christians. They said as as Saul was a boy, he was the one that held the coats for the people that stoned Stephen. So he's been around this ever since he was a, a lad. Ever since he was a child, he was around this way of thinking that what Christianity is is wrong. He'd been brought up under that. It's hard to change what you've been brought up in. I'm talking to people I know out here that you're probably the same thing. If you've been brought up in something, it's sometimes it's hard to just change. This is how it was. This is how it was in our house. This is what had happened. This is, this is how I lived, and this is what we knew. To some people, it was no big deal. To us, it was a very big deal. You know, I, I've talked to my mother-in-law at extent before, and she said that she had nine brothers and sisters, and for them, just fresh potato chips was a big deal. They put them in the oven and crisp them up just because they were so stale when they got them. And I'm thinking, man, you know, that's just, it just seems like, well, that shouldn't be. It's just potato chips, but to her, that was a big deal. 
Larry King years ago viewed, uh, interviewed an agnostic, an atheist, a Jewish person, person, and a Christian. At the end of the interview, he asked each of them what their parents were. Funny to say the agnostic wasn't sure. The atheist uh, said that his parents were atheists. They, they didn't believe. The Jew said he was raised in a Jewish home. The Christian said he was raised in a Christian home. What I'm telling you is it's interesting that how we're raised and what we're brought up in is what affects how we see and do life. You know, I, I, I was for years, I was a Browns fan. I still like the Browns. I'm, they're just not my number one team. But why was I a Browns fan? How was I brought into the dog pound? Well, my father was a Browns fan. So it was just introduced to me. Football, the Cleveland Browns, it had to be the best team. Dad likes them. I like them. Anybody that doesn't like them, they're not right. (laughs) You see, that's how we do life. It's difficult, not impossible, but difficult to break the mold of those years of influence. If you were raised this way and you always had to do this to somebody else, it was celebration. To you, it was work. It's going to take some effort. To get your mindset different because that's all you've known. You owe it to yourself to think that maybe, just maybe, there's something broader than what your parents had brought you. Kim and I, if we could say we could go back as we talk to our kids, they're all adults now. And they're saying, remember when you, you didn't let us even watch this part of this Disney cartoon? We're like, hey, I'm sorry. This is where we were. So just maybe, just maybe, you know, we we didn't have all of the knowledge we needed. Just maybe, just maybe there might be better ways, but this is where we were, so this is how we operated. Because our job at the time that we could figure was just to keep you protected. What if God is trying to tell us something and it goes against our way of thinking? What if he has a vision for you and you just don't think it's right, but maybe it's a God thing, but because we were brought up in a different tradition or a different era that we think, That's, that can't be God. What if, maybe, we just don't see it? Well, Brett, we've done it this way before and it's not happening this way. I don't like change. Not too many people are comfortable with change anyway. That's, that's okay, but change helps make you grow. People challenge tradition because it scares them. I pastored in Pickerington, and that church was birthed, was birthed out of Brownsville. How many remember the Brownsville revival? So it was birthed out of that. And so when I took the church over, they had, in Brownsville, they were instructed by God to have all these different flags. And so when I came into Pickerington, they had every flag that Brownsville had. And they had it all around the sanctuary. They were fine. There's nothing wrong with that. So if you're watching live stream, I'm, I, I love Pastor John Kilpatrick. He, he's not at Brownsville anymore, I don't believe. Um, but uh, I had him for a camp meeting. This isn't against anybody personally. What I'm saying is that's what was happening in Brownsville. And so they had done that with a, the founding pastor in Pickerington. Well, that founding pastor had gone. Another pastor had gone. And so I was the third guy to come in there. And at the point where the Lord had said, I, you know, we could use those flags, but we need to take them and put them somewhere else because he had something else he wanted to do for that body. You would have thought 
I was a dentist and wanted to, to drill your teeth with no Novocaine. I mean, they're just, they were appalled. I would be, do something as terrible as take down the flags. I mean, how could you do that? That's terrible. And I'm like, you'll get over it. We're still going to pray. We're just not going to pray with the flags all around here. We're gonna, it's, we'll have a room that we'll fill it with flags if that's what we want. Whatever God wants. Our mindsets sometimes will get to hinder us. See, a generation that shouts about everything is because a lot of times they don't know anything. We have a culture that will shout emotionally about somebody that just because they can speak and raise their emotion, but they really don't know what they said. We need to understand Saul thinks he's doing right right here. He thinks he's on a mission. He does not think he's a bad man. He is defending a good cause. He thinks he's sent by God. He's aggressive. How many knows that we need to have some of that trait, at least be aggressive? Did you know bad people make some of the best good people? Seriously, because bad people, they get aggressive on stuff. And once they find Christ and God changes their mindset and they start operating, they, they become focused and aggressive in a good way. They've been on both sides of the fence. Here's our text this morning, because I know you're wondering when I'm going to get to it. Acts 9, 1 through 6. <laughs> Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters dressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for the cooperation and the arrest of any followers on the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And he was approaching Damascus on his mission. A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are, uh, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city. You'll be told what you must do. So Paul wrote more about God than anybody. All of the disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they got, to, they got to walk with Jesus physically. Paul did not. And yet he still writes more. He didn't have the, the blessing of being able to walk right there beside him. So this light knocks him over. Sometimes when God tells you something, it goes against your grain. You're not really sure why he's telling you this. When he told us to go into ministry, it's not, you know, it's, it's okay to talk about when you have to pick up and move everything and go to a place you don't know anybody and you've got to find a new bank uh, where their Walmart is or Myers or gas station. All of that stuff, everything has to be changed. You start realizing how comfortable you have it. But then there is a moment that God reveals to Paul. Here's our second thought this morning. God can't always be explained. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes we try to convince people about how good God is. I quit arguing with people because there are people that just want to argue. They just want to rile you. They, they, even if you showed them truth, there are people that, here's a scripture. Well, give me another one. I'm not going to give you another one. You didn't do anything with the last one I gave you. So what I'm saying is there are people that will just want to make you upset. Even if you gave them evidence. They still couldn't be a Christian because you have to do that by faith. They have to believe. Belief is what is required. Knowledge is great, but faith and belief. We have to have faith 
in God and know that he is who he says and believe. You see, God isn't as necessarily explained. He's revealed. God will reveal himself to you, something that you need, something that he does, and it will just be revealed. It's almost like he just goes, there you go. And then nobody can tell you different. You can say whatever you want, but you've seen too much. God just did something for me that, he, that I know it was God. He revealed himself. Why? Because he's hidden. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 3. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. You see, what excites me and what, what might excite you if you know Christ is this. It's Jesus. And those that don't know him, they're not excited like that because they don't know him. He's not been revealed to them. They are lost. You see, what is our reality becomes their lie. Sometimes it's just like at the candy store. They're looking in. They want to have what's in there, but they don't know how to get in and get it. And they feel outside and lost. And unfortunately, the church has probably helped. We shouldn't be surprised when people that don't know Jesus make fun of people that do. We act like people should know if they're, they don't know Christ. We should, hey, you, you, can, you should do this. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. They don't know. They don't know Jesus. They haven't walked with him, so they just know what they know. So they just do what they do. But God has revealed himself to you, and we are privileged. Let's read on, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, listen to this, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. See, people that don't know Jesus, or don't, they find what we do foolish. That's stupid. I've had people tell me, you mean to tell me, because they got down to, do you ever, what do you give? And we would, you know, I just generally told him, here's what we do. This is when I was working at Honda. He said, you mean to tell me you give that kind of money to the church? Do, I mean, do you do, does your church do any mission work? I bet your church, yeah, and we give to missions. How much? It doesn't matter. How much? So I sh- this guy, again, doesn't know Jesus, so I shared with him. He goes, you mean to tell me you give that much money? And I just said, well, yeah. Why? Because God told See, to him, it's foolish. Why do we get up early when you can sleep in? Why do you come on a snowy day when you could be at home, you know, watching Good Morning America or something or whatever's on? Why do you, you know, do what you do? To those that don't know Christ, it's foolish. If we, yeah, I thought this was cute. If you leave an old boyfriend because he won't follow God, and you leave him because you're going to follow a 2,000-year-old Jesus, Somebody you can't see, he's going to say, you, you got to screw loose if he doesn't know Jesus. When you walk away from stuff you can see to stuff you can't see, the spiritual stuff, people don't understand that. So they, to them, it's just like, that's crazy. Are you in the building this morning? 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's our next thought. This was fun to write. <clears throat> Everybody isn't saved. Everybody who comes up to the altar and prays does not get saved. 
Saying the prayer does not make you a Christian. It just, just because you said the magic prayer doesn't make you a Christian. Going to McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac. It's about saying and believing. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. Water baptism that's coming up in February in the name of Jesus. But water baptism doesn't save you in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost or in the name of Humpty Dumpty. It doesn't save you. Some people get saved right where they're sitting. Didn't come up front. Didn't do anything. Nobody laid hands on them. It can happen. It is possible to get saved without coming up to the altar. It is possible to get saved on your commute to work. It's possible to get saved in your car. It's possible to get saved in the parking lot. It's possible to get saved in a bar room sitting on a bar stool. It's possible. If you're asking God and you're believing and you open your heart, he'll come wherever you are. Somebody say amen. amen. Saul was not in church. He didn't come up to the altar. Vinny Hidden didn't lay hands on him. Brett Gleesman didn't slap oil on his head. I'm just saying he was on his way and he still got saved. God doesn't need clergy to save you. He can come into a room with a needle sticking in your arm because he's Jesus. Preaching is a tool and it's used to reveal, to bring revelation to what God is trying to tell us. How many have ever just felt God in your car when you're driving somewhere? And, and, and today you can get away with it because, you know, you, there are people with Bluetooth in their car just, or they got the radio crank. You can be in your car. You can be praising and doing everything. People just think it's normal now, I think. <laughs> Here's the truth. Some people come up front, raise their hand for the wrong reasons, and got nothing. Then later, whatever they had thought they got, Finally meditated on a little bit, broke through, and then all of a sudden they realized that's what it meant. And then got whatever they needed. Something changed. If everybody in this place that raised their hand and came up front for salvation or stood up for salvation or whatever, we would already be in a building project. We could not house everybody. True. Just because they come forward to raise their hand doesn't mean their heart has changed. I'm trying to help somebody today. I'm not saying you shouldn't raise your hand. I'm not saying you don't need a heart change. We all need a heart change, me included. God is always working on But what I'm telling you is you have to get this thing in. It's got to drop from your mind to your heart. you got to finally say, Jesus, I might not understand it all, but I'll stand under you. Something happened to Paul's heart. Jesus revealed himself to him. You see, there's a purpose you're still here. There's a purpose that God has a plan for you. There's a purpose. There's a destiny. There's a vision he wants you to fulfill. You wouldn't still be here. You wouldn't, you know, all the hell you've been through, God's got a reason that he has kept you. There's something big for you to do. It's not because you're good. It's not because your parents are good. It's not because he's, you know, you, you know the mayor or whoever. He has a destiny and he has put angels around you. When you understand you're important to God and that you mean the world to him, for God so loved the world that he gave. Help me preach today. 
1 John 3, 2, dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Here's our next thought. Seeing God causes you to become like him. The more he's revealed, the more you change. The more you go after God, the more he reveals himself to you. The more he reveals himself to you, the more you start changing into his likeness. The more his anointing, the more things that you change, you find out, I got to change this, I got to do this. See, if we don't let God change, and all the things we're doing, if we're not getting close to him, they're not changes per se, they're just imitations. People will imitate change just to fit into this group called, or club we call church sometimes. And I'm guilty of it. I remember people saying, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Brett, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need to go up front and get the baptism. I didn't even understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit, let alone go up front. But I had people trying to drag me up front all the time. This is in my home church. I wasn't in the ministry. I was just like, ah. And they dragged me up there, and then everybody lay hands on me. I felt like I was being pressed into the floor. How many, did anybody else have that happen to them? And this is what's going through my mind. I don't care what. What do I got to do to get out of this? Because this is uncomfortable, and I don't like this. What do they want me to say? That? Oh, I can fake that. And so I do that. Oh, he's got it. He's got it. Out come the white hankies. And all I'm like is, thank you, God. If I'm thanking you for anything, I'm not over there. I'm back at my seat. You see, sometimes we didn't convert. We just conformed. What would happen if we really got into God? What would happen if we really said, God, if you have a vision for me, I want to follow it. Show me what it is. We'd have that real experience and we would start seeing him in a different way. Because once we see that and he does things, you couldn't convince me otherwise. You could, because I've seen too much. Because he starts revealing himself. Come on, am I right about it? I can't always explain it. I just know he's real. Because he has revealed himself to me and he'll do it for you. Remember Thomas? We would call him Doubting Thomas. Thomas was with the disciples. He was, you know, one of the 12. And, but he was having trouble. He wasn't buying, you know. He saw what happened to Jesus. He saw him go in front of the, the council. He saw him get beat to nearly death and then crucified to death. He saw all of that. And all of this stuff is happening to him and it's not working. In other words, he's not getting it like everybody else. He's not getting it like maybe Peter or, or somebody else. He is just saying, I'm struggling here. This isn't working. I don't get why this had to happen. I loved him, and why did they kill him? And, and, and now we are running for our lives. Jesus had showed himself to the rest of the disciples. Now listen, I like this, but he came back for one, just to appear to Thomas. That's pretty huge, man. That is huge. He came back for one guy. He showed up for one guy. Do you know how important you are for God? That God would reveal himself just for you? My Bible says he is not a respecter of persons. I'm telling you, if you seek God and you believe God, he's going to reveal himself to you. How many times has God ministered to just one? Blind Bartimaeus, woman at the well, woman with the issue of blood, the widow, Lazarus. He calls Lazarus by name. If he'd have just said the graveyard, everybody there would have jumped out of there. 
He'll, come, he'll help just one. He knows exactly who you are. He loves you more than you could even imagine. Can you see it this morning? You know, sometimes it's hard to pastor people. Hard to convince them to give, to serve, to get involved. The reason? They're not all saved. Because they don't see it that way. They just, again, they want to be here. They just haven't had the experience. And that's not to crack on anybody. I'm just being honest. Because, you know, God is still Lord. But to some people, he's Lord, but he's only Lord on Sunday morning. They don't understand he is Lord of all. You know, if you're around somebody and they're the same as they were before, they just come to church, but they're still not nice. They cuss like a sailor, sailor, sailor cuss like a sailor. They, they still do everything they used to do. <laughs> Probably not saved. Now, that doesn't mean you can't ever make a mistake. I get that. But I'm telling you, if you encounter Christ, you encounter Jesus, and you have an ongoing relationship, you cannot stay the same. You cannot stay the same. You cannot stay the same. Because interacting with him, he reveals himself to you, and you change to be like him. It's, it's impossible to stay that way and be around Jesus. Those things will pass away. It'll change your entire personality. Now, this isn't in my notes, but you remember when Jesus said he told his disciples, I want you to go into town, I want you to get a colt, and I want you to bring him to me. He's never been ridden on. Tell him I need him, and the guy will say, okay. Remember that? So he does that. Now, I love cowboys. Well, I love cowboys, pilgrim. I, I, I do. I've always loved westerns, love cowboys. But, you know, everybody knows, whether you know cowboys or westerns or whatever, if you have a colt or a horse that's never been ridden, what happens when you get on it? The natural personality of that horse is going to be like, they're going to buck and get you off of there. But yet, there is no writing in the Bible that says that horse or that colt did anything. When Jesus sat on that horse or that colt, it should have bucked. But when you have an encounter with Jesus, it changed the whole personality. That's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. It can change. Things can change. What you've been battling, it can change. Your DNA has changed. You know you're not the same. If you used to at the drop of a hat fight, and you don't do that anymore, that's Jesus working on you. You used to cuss. Real good and easy. It flowed like that was, you know, part of your language. And you don't now? Jesus is working on you. Come on, somebody. For every change in your life, you need the vision of a conquering Jesus. God says he's able to do above all that we could ask or think. We don't need a limp-wristed, panty-waist, no-backbone, wishboned scared to death no we have a savior that says like you know what i got this i did this let's go we need a god who rides on a horse and his eyes are like fire and a sword comes out of his mouth and nobody gonna stand up to him every knee shall bow every tongue confess 
What we don't need, you know, we all, oh, I just need more money. No, what you need is a vision. You need God to tell you something, to show you something. He's bigger than the problem you have. He's bigger than the thing you're worried about. He's bigger than what you're addicted to. He's bigger than the person on your job that gives you fits. He's bigger than your mortgage. He's bigger than your electric bill. He's bigger than your gas bill. He's bigger than your health problem. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's bigger than that. See, the enemy can't stop God from being God, but what he'll do is he'll try to hide God because he can't move him. And you can't hide God. If you get ready to hide something, that would say you have control over it. And the enemy does not have control over God, so he cannot hide God. So if he can't hide God, he'll blind you. Think about what I just said. If he cannot hide God, he doesn't have that kind of power. He'll try to, if you give him access to stop you from being seen by God or seeing God or having God revealed you, he'll do everything he can to stop that revealing so that you won't know what I'm telling you today. Here's our last thought this morning. Without vision, the people perish. Remember the disciples were put in a boat. Jesus got him in a boat, told him to go across the lake. Third watch of the night, storm comes up. Not just a small little storm, but like a, a big one. Like, you know, a big one. So they thought they're going to die, and then they see a stranger walking towards them. They rationalize, and that's what we do. And the enemy just feeds that. Again, think about this. He's trying to blind you from what is happening. It's a ghost. So they say it's a ghost. Well, how could it not be? It's walking on the water. It's got to be something like that. But Peter, bad mouth, hot tempered, cussing Peter, says, Lord, something inside is getting revealed. He said, If that's you, tell me to come. Jesus just said one word come. He didn't give a big sermon. Thou shalt comest and just know that I shall get thy feet wet. If you didn't have shoes on that will be ruined by the water, don't come. He didn't, have, he didn't give him anything. He just said, come on. Peter steps off the boat, starts walking towards the water. Now listen, because he had a vision, he could see Jesus. His eyes are fixed on Jesus. Now this is what I want to say. Halfway there... This shows how we can have a vision and we can lose it. He gets distracted from the vision by looking at his condition. Condition is like his environment. As long as he didn't pay attention to his condition or whatever is going on, he could, now listen, he could walk above it. If he doesn't pay attention to whatever you're battling, quit giving that life and start paying attention. Jesus Give me a vision. I'm coming to you. What does your word say? And I go to that because if I don't, as long as I do that, I'm walking above whatever that is. But I start, if we start giving the condition attention, we, have, we lose the ability to rise above it. Because, again, we, we start giving it life. Without vision, the people perish. 
See, Peter started looking at the wrong things, the ocean, the wind, the waves. If you're sinking this morning on stuff you used to walk over top of, maybe your attention to moved away from the one who's called you. Maybe you've started giving focus to the ones who criticize you or the challenges that surround you, the adversities you face. I don't see how this, how are we ever going to get out of this? I don't see, we're so much in debt, we have this, we have that. You know, whatever that situation is, I've got this health problem, I've got that. If you're going to give that attention, could it be that you've taken your eyes off what you really need to keep your eyes on? Look back and see where God has brought you through stuff. My wife keeps a journal. She's good like that. And there's sometimes, I think there's stuff that she'll go back and say, I remember when God did this, and she'll go back and read the account. That's where we need to be. God, don't ever let me forget how great you've been to me. Paul gets hit with this light, and Jesus said, it's hard to kick against the pricks. One version says the goads. Basically, when they put an ox in a stall, the ox could kick the gate open, but they put little sharp pointy things on the gate because it'll hurt him if he does. The enemy wants to get to you. But I think God has put protection around, if we'll recognize it, to keep you away or keep them away, the enemy away, so that he can get the truth to you so that you can be an overcomer. Sometimes we fight against God. I don't want you to do that this morning. I want you to be changed by transformation. I want you to, I want you to see God seeing things uh, in you, showing things in you. You know, I've talked so much about vision boards, and <laughs> I don't, you know, my wife's more of authority on that than, than me um, as far as that. Well, we both, but, I mean, she, that's been like, that's been part of her drive. And so everything on, on our vision board has happened. I mean, it's just, it just happens. And she'll put across there, paid in full, this has happened, uh, you know, whatever. And so we were just talking today. She just gave me a book that I'm, I'm checking out. And, uh, I, you know, she goes, we, you, you probably need to get a vision board. Because, you know, a vision board is pretty simple. It's just keeping something in front of your face that you believe God is wanting to do in you. Maybe it's something that you want, something that you believe, or some place you believe he's going to take you, or ministry or whatever. And you just keep that in front of your face. Can I just say that this is trusting God. Trusting God. Paul got hit by that light for three days. He's blinded. And he had to convince the church that he was saved now. Because everybody knew who he was. All the believers are like, nah, he can stay out. I don't trust him. God had to say he's okay now. He had to appear to Ananias and say that because, you know, Ananias is probably like, I ain't going there. I'm asking you this morning, are you seeing him clearly? Are you Claritin clear? What if we could see him a little bit better? What if, what if, whatever the situation is, if we determine, Lord, I am not going to do, get my eyes off you. I'm going to be changed. I'm going to see myself succeeding. Remember last week I said, give your permission, yourself permission to, to do that, to win, to see yourself being blessed, to see yourself succeeding. 
See, the vision that Paul was saying, this is what he said when Jesus tells him who he is. This is what he says, what must I do? God's not going to leave you hanging. He's going to reveal what you should do. He's going to give you goals. And he won't give you anything that you cannot do without him. Now, he will give you goals that there's no way you can do them without him. You're going to need him. If you can do them without him, there's no, you know what I'm saying? There's no sense in it. So he's going to show you stuff that you're like, I don't even know how this is going to happen. That's why you need him. So you can be changed by the vision. But I want you to think about that today. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes.